Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Rick Nucci. He is the CEO of Guru, and Guru is a knowledge lake, a data lake. Well, actually, let me ask you, what's uh, well, welcome to the show, and uh, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's good, uh, good to connect with you, Stuart. Totally. So, so what is Guru? Yeah, Guru is a is a knowledge management product that helps teams uh, connect with the information they need to do their jobs. Um, and we work with companies from you know growing startups to uh, to enterprises. Cool. And I would love to talk about the knowledge management field. And I imagine you've seen it. From my understanding, the knowledge management field has kind of it was started in the '80s and the '90s, I believe, out of IBM. And then it basically disappeared for a long time uh, and then is now facing a resurgence. Is that an accurate representation? Yeah, I I would say that's that's broadly accurate. I think like many categories of software that have a a storied past, I think there's been plenty of stops and starts around like figuring out products that end up being um, net positive, positively impactful, tied to actually helping customers solve business problems. And um, I do think it has reemerged over the last 10 years quite a, quite a bit. Um, and I think there's a, there's a number of like factors behind that um, that have led to that. But, but I think it's, it's, we're probably in one of the most exciting times for the field, I would say, broadly. Mm-hmm. And so what is the actual business problem that knowledge management solves? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it generally, well, I think it's rooted around efficiency. And I, te- I, I think the problem tends to show up in employee efficiency and customer experience and efficiency around that. And so on the on the employee side, it is how can you quickly get employees the information they need? I think it's sort of like the sort of like a two directional exchange that happens, right? How can you quickly get employees the information they need to do their job? So they're working on something and they need to quickly get information in order to complete the task they're working on. And then I think the other side of that flow is people need to disseminate out important knowledge to employees in a kind of one to many way and ensure that they're actually seeing that, engaging in it, taking action on it typically. And I think rooted in those two exchanges is tons of inefficiency historically. I think if you don't have a knowledge management lens on that, um, and you sort of let it happen organically, you end up with lots of inconsistency in information being shared. You end up with shoulder tapping this sort of small population of people that are experts on a given topic. Um, and it kind of just slows everything down. And I think on the customer experience side, that becomes really evident. Same types of problems. I think there it's really around a company that is servicing their customers from, you know, the moment if there's a, if the business has a sales team, the moment you start talking to a human, when you're considering a product through ongoing support and, and success with that customer relationship, there's this like high frequency of knowledge that has to be enabled and provided out to those, those end customers. And I think there, that efficiency, if it's not figured out, will show up as, uh, around customer satisfaction broadly, you know, you'll, you'll, if, if it's on the sales side, you might see win rates hurting because, you know, competitors are moving faster with customers than you're able to on the support side, it'll show up as you're just taking too long to respond to customers or you're giving them the wrong answer and they're getting frustrated because they're not getting the help they need. So that's what I mean by kind of the efficiency on the customer experience side. But generally every company we see is like, 
thinking about those two buckets of, of efficiency broadly. And, 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 and I think it really, really is showing up at the leadership level um, all the way down to, you know, the pains are described differently, but, you know, leadership all the way down to the employee. That's like, I, I can't find what I need. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to find what I need to do my job. It's caught. It's I'm spending hours a day trying to find this stuff. I can't find it, you know? Yeah. And that's, it's been so interesting for me because I didn't actually, I had never heard about the knowledge management role before getting offered the job that I currently have. Uh, and I've quickly gotten up to speed on the general theory uh, and I'm quickly moving through the practice as well. And one of the most interesting things that I've learned is that uh I, I, that when I first started, I think that I didn't have full buy-in from a lot of the organization. Uh, and I think there's a reason for that, which I'll get into, but uh, there is essentially like, it took me a while to get full buy-in. Now I think I have a lot of buy-in, still don't have full buy-in. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with knowledge management in general being so abstract and so like nobody really knows what it is. Uh, and, and the people who do know what it is get it kind of intuitively, but it's really hard to make explicit, which is a knowledge management term, of course, the implicit knowledge and explicit knowledge and everything like that. Uh, and so uh, it's been it's been an interesting challenge to kind of like make it less abstract and very, very clear what the benefits are from knowledge management. And I think you said it correctly, which is that it's basically everybody's spending a lot of time trying to figure out where they can find the information, talking to a lot of people, wasting other people's time. Um, and it's a huge problem, but I think it's kind of one of those problems where it's like, seems so overwhelming that people kind of just like back away from it and say, oh, let's let's not do anything about that. And I think that's what happened to the field in general was that in the nineties, they basically, uh, 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 they're like, okay, it's too hard to get all the knowledge management. And it's been a challenge of me and my organization to, to figure out how to kind of convince people that this is something really practical and something that will help them a lot in their in their day-to-day -day lives. So what are some of the kind of key tips that you could give me in order to understand how to get buy-in at an organizational level, not only from the leadership, which part of leadership is very bought in, uh, uh, but also among uh, just team members and employees. Yeah, it's it's such a great question, um, and I think there's there's a couple of things that can really help, and I'll, I'll share kind of like two, two broad thoughts with a few examples. First is, um, you know, er, earlier I think you asked a great question, which is like what what are the business problems that knowledge management solves, and I think that is the absolute first and most important because it can feel abstract. Um, it can be the kind of thing where you're like, you're, I feel it, but how do I actually quantify it or actually assess the impact to make people compelled and want to care, right? So there's a couple of things. First, um, there is like employee stakeholder sentiment, and then there is outcomes and metrics. So outcomes and metrics would be, um, we will see a lot of companies look at metrics like, let's go back to our two buckets of employee efficiency and customer customer experience efficiency. An employee, there, gen, there tends to be some metric like EMPS, and usually EMPS is um, uh, obviously the definition of the metric is is the employer version of the Net Promoter Survey. It's basically, would you recommend as an employee, would you recommend a friend, colleague, prior person of yours that you don't work with right now, would you recommend that they come work at this company? And if so, awesome. If not, why? You know, and, and, and it's a great opportunity for companies to tease out what would give you pause in referring a really great, awesome person to come join the company. And in that, you will undoubtedly hear um, themes around um, internal comms, themes around lack of being able to find knowledge, thing, things around systems and tools frustrations. And, and, and uh, one of the analysts we work with, Forrester, did a really nice job of this, where they actually did a roll up of a whole bunch of like, Hey, what are you asking your employees around employee engagement and what are they telling you? And what are the things? And like, that was one of the big top three things that kept coming up. So that's a good one because what you're doing there is really framing it around a metric that the company already cares about versus having to kind of invent or come up with a new one. The other big one, I mentioned this one before, is, is broadly around CSAT, which is um, some similar sentiment of like, what is the customer's experience engaging with you when they engage with your brand? Is it a positive or negative, generally speaking? And, um, and and that tends, again, tends to be a metric that every company has some version of that. They may use a different thing than CSAT, but something like that, that is speaking to the quality of the engagement happening. And very rarely anymore these days does someone say, oh, efficiency is so important that I don't really care if the customer is like happy anymore, right? It's not a trade-off, right? It's like you have to, to be great at both. It's like, 
you know, we need to improve. We need to have great quality interaction with our customers. We also need to scale the org. We can't scale with humans necessarily. We need to be mindful of that. And so what's the right trade-off? So by attaching to a metric like that and saying, hey, knowledge management is going to, good knowledge management is going to move the needle here because we're going to be responding faster to our customers. We're going to be giving them higher quality information. We're not going to be giving them inaccurate things. Like those are really good things. So I think you've got your kind of like business metrics attaching to that. The second one is the sentiment point I mentioned before. I said a little bit more, but just to say a little bit more about that, there are um, some great questions that you can ask kind of two cohorts of people. One cohort is the employees, the people who need to pull this information out to do their jobs. And the questions you can ask those employees are like, hey, when you need to go and get an answer to do something, how long does it generally take you to find it? And 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 this is not an exercise in precision, right? But it's a sense of how long does it take? Does it take you um, seconds, minutes, hours? Um, and how often do you find yourself having to do this over the course of a day or a week? And um, what's hard about the way that it happens right now, right? So, so you can ask this sort of short set of three to five questions you can put that in front of the broad employee base or groups of employees, cohorts of employees, um, and listen to what they say. And they're, and they're going to say back to you things like what we're talking about. They're going to say like, yeah, it's hard. Um, oh, another good question is like, how many different systems do you have to go check, generally speaking, right? Again, it's not an exercise in precision, but the answers are always shocking because just as companies, we have way more apps that we use than we all think we do, right? So, so they're going to say some number that'll be shocking. It'll be like five, six, eight different systems. You're like, whoa, that sounds horrible. No wonder efficiency doesn't feel really great, right? So so there's sort of this employee employee version of questions, which again, are all around like, you finding things and where is that hard and what and, and and sort of like getting a sense of how it's hard. Then there's the subject matter experts. So asking this group, this is a smaller population, mm -hmm. but this group is all about distraction because what this group, the questions you can ask this group is um, how often are you getting these questions from the broader employee base? Because what's going on there is, uh, yeah. um, there's this one to many thing, right? You've got you've got a, a small set of humans that are an expert on a given topic. Maybe it's security, maybe it's HR benefits, maybe it's a particular part of the product, right? And then you've got this wide group of um, employees that need the benefits knowledge, the support team that needs to answer the security question, the sales team that needs the product messaging, whatever it might be. And so that set of questions is like, okay, so you're getting asked this stuff um, how often, how are you getting asked? There's probably, if you're using a messaging tool, like a Slack or a Teams, there's probably way more DMs and, uh, at mentions going on in these channels than people realize. And there's a real cost to distraction because you get, you get pulled out of what you were doing. You have to, you, you get pulled out of your flow state. You have to answer the question. You have to reset your brain. You have to go back. Most people are going to feel some urgency, like, oh, I feel compelled to want to answer that employee, right? But it's happening in this very unrepeatable way. And so you get, you've got your business metrics, you've got your employee set of, of input that you can ask them and sort of summarize that. You've got your subject matter experts who are going, if people don't stop, like they get burned out, right? Like if people don't stop asking me the same thing, I'm going to lose my mind. And you put all that together and you can get this really nice kind of like bottoms up. Because final thing I'll say is like leaders will, like you, you mentioned earlier, like leaders will, will typically buy into this, but they often are disconnected from the daily pain. And it can be really enlightening and illuminating when you put this data in front of them and they'll go, Oh my God, I'm getting like, this isn't a pocketed problem. This is a broad thing that is really dragging the org down. Yeah. That was excellent. There's a lot in there. Uh, the key thing, I think, is just like the background of this conversation is you said something about scaling human. Well, there's scaling an organization and then there's the kind of tension between scaling the organization and the inability to actually scale human to human interactions. Um, what would you say about that? I mean, you already covered a lot of it, but let's go into that, like that as a primary kind of source of frustration inside of organizations. Our company is currently scaling and it is crazy, like the the pressure that 
is of, of scale is really, really insane. And so the automatic kind of thought is to like, okay, well, let's start scaling. So we don't do anything that doesn't scale. And then you go back to Paul Graham's kind of thing about startups in general is that you have to do things that don't scale. And that that human relationship is one of those things that you can't really scale it. And I think a lot of web two, web two was, was about trying to scale things that just don't scale. And like, you get things like Facebook and Uber, which like automated huge amounts of, of, of the kind of person to person interaction. And then we're left like after those have happened to be like, Oh, well, how do I actually get my account back? Like if, if I can't actually speak to a human being, how do I actually do this? And that's happening at the, at a kind of a large level all over the civilization as well. Do you have any thoughts on that general theme? Yeah, totally, totally. I love, I love, love the thinking for sure. You know, starting with your Paul Graham quote, right? Like, do things that don't scale. It's like, it's like, yes, there is a stage of company where you're just trying to figure out if the thing works. Like, maybe it's a new product launch, right? Like, like, like you're testing this new product. You're testing different kinds of messaging. Is it landing with the market? You can do very, uh, very. Um, in unscalable uh, things that are not repeatable, right? You can do this white glove customer success thing to get your first 10 customers live, right? You can you can spend time with a customer that um, has a small ACV in the spirit of learning that there's no way you could do that when you're trying to go from, you know, one to 10 or 10 to 100 or whatever your business milestone might be, right? And so, so that's exactly right. So scale is the first problem where, um, it's it's it can it can be easy to forget that when you are going from that that phase of one phase of company to the next i think naming that mm-hmm. is critical because part of naming it is going to be like you said mm-hmm. um introducing scale and repeatability and a great example of where that happens is around enablement functions which can be knowledge management learning and development sales enablement are all examples of this these functions exist expressly because of what we're talking about, because the things we were doing when it was just us, the things we knew weren't going to be repeatable things that could scale um, now need to be. And if we don't actually bring that expertise and DNA and build those muscles as a company, um, we will we will drive off the cliff as a company because we will not know what's working. We will not understand repeatability. We will not um, hit our revenue goals or we'll hit them at a unbearable cost uh, literally financial OPEX cost, but also cost in terms of like time and speed. Um, and, and, and we, and we won't, you know, we won't essentially achieve, achieve our outcomes. Right. And so, so scale scales, the one really big one where, where knowledge management rears its head in, in, in a really ugly way. And to your point, we're all humans, right? So we're all trying to do a million things. And so, so scale manifests with a lot of things I was just talking about this, the subject matter experts are freaking out. They're getting really frustrated. The, everything's slowing down when the employees are trying to find what they need. The other one that is independent of your team size is change mm-hmm. and change is um, we're launching a new product or we're making a big change to an existing product, but it can also be internally the way we do things. We are, um, going from a um, V2 mom goaling system to an OKR goaling system. And so the way we set goals is going to change or we're changing healthcare providers. Those moments of change have a knowledge draft that follows along with it. And whatever the change is you're trying to do is likely very important to your company, right? If it's a new product that you're launching, boy, that's really important. Or if you're pivoting who you sell it to, that's really important. Or if people are still using the old healthcare provider, that's a problem versus the new, right? And so the problem there manifests because you feel as a business, you feel like, oh, change is hard. Like, have you ever had that feeling like change feels hard? Well, that's because people aren't tight in how they are getting this information communicated to them quickly, seeing it timely, knowing to act on it, right? So yes, I think scale and change. These moments generate knowledge, sharing, mm-hmm. critical inflection points that um, really bite the company uh, if if they aren't sort of like thinking about that proactively. Yes, that mirrors a lot of things that we've been going through in the past mo- couple of months or so. It's just uh, like, particularly in startups, because scale, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the 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 theory that human beings have a large challenge to understand exponential changes, uh-huh. Uh, and uh-huh. like, and it's just like so difficult for us to think through and be like, oh, in a month, 
we're going to have, you know, maybe 150 million, million ARR and then maybe in a year we'll, you know, have like 500 million or something like that. Just that level of like complexity and the coordinate, coordination costs, all of those things change so quickly. Um, and uh, so you have these critical inflection points and knowledge management kind of can serve to kind of communication. So what I'm getting from this conversation is that communication is one of the primary aspects of knowledge management. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. It, it, it's, uh, I shouldn't say it's hard. It can feel hard if it's not something that it, you're naturally programmed in. And I think that my advice is always like lean into it and it can be messy. I think people value timeliness and people value transparency in communication internally much more than they do polish. Yeah. And so there can often be this pressure of like, well, I have to, and yes, there's always leveling up. There's always like the, you know, I wanted, I wanted to write a short letter to you, but I didn't have enough time, right? Yes. Brevity does ultimately matter. But in the beginning, it's just like messy transparency in service of timeliness and people feeling connected and on the same page. Rarely is everyone sitting in one office five days a week, 40 hours a week. So it only spotlights it even more. Um, yes, it, it, I think it's a superpower, um, that the, like anything else, the more you practice, the better you get at it. Interesting. Uh, I would love to talk about guru and potentially how the remote work transition went for you guys. Uh, and then also I would like to put in your head to talk about guru in a sense of like, maybe to go off on sort of a crazy tangent, but also like the word guru itself, there's a form of yoga called guru yoga. And I would love to understand if there's any sort of like thinking with it, with that name particularly. Um, but let's, uh, well, actually, whichever one you want to talk about, let's go for it. Uh, wow. Those are, those are two interesting and uh, divergent paths. Yeah. yeah, we can, we can, why don't we start on the, maybe the cultural shift front? Yep. The, uh, the remote, yeah. The remote work yeah. transition. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so how did it go for you guys? Like, uh, cause I'm sure, you know, 2020, like I imagine that you guys went, had to go remote and how did that go? And like, maybe even the pro product side and the customer side, uh, did a lot more, uh, did you guys face a lot more people talking to you because I'll, because, and let me set this up a little bit more knowledge management in the sense of a remote organization seems very, very important. Like maybe more important than it does for some people sitting in inside of an office, uh, at a, you know, 150 to 500 people employees, like it's really important to get knowledge management, right. That might be why it's growing so much. What, what do you think about this remote context and knowledge management specifically in guru or just in general? Yeah. You know, interestingly, I don't, I'd say we saw some positive inflection through remote work, but 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 it's really just a new label on a different thing. And the different thing is like, even before all of this, yes, there are smaller companies where before the pandemic, everyone was five days a week, you know, full-time in an office, right? But but as soon as you start growing and expanding, you open a second office, right, right then you're kind of in this same, not everyone's in the same room anymore, pattern or paradigm, right? And even now, I think there's, there's just like a really strange discourse in the media around people wanting to dramatize and polarize you know, remote work and 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 every, and people doing these mandates and and the mandates are 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 really really tough thing to do, especially if you're unwinding something. Mm. But but my point is more um, when you really read what people are doing, really it's very unless you're in manufacturing, right? Like Tesla, they make cars. It understands why, like yeah, you might need to be in the place where the cars are getting made, right? But like for for a large percentage of the world, you're talking about teams that. Uh, are being, um, even if they're mandated, they're coming in a few days a week. So it's really hybrid, right? And it might be hybrid because you're letting people work from home. It might be that uh, people are working in different offices. What's really going on is asynchronous communication has been high, got higher in the pandemic and remains really, really high. The moments of live conversation, yeah. whether it's over a Zoom or in an office together are precious and few and by definition, inefficient. So you really wanna sharpen up, how are you using that time? And when you're not using that synchronous time together, you're doing asynchronous communication. When you're doing asynchronous communication, you're doing knowledge management, whether you wanna call it that or not. If you're not calling it knowledge management, well, it probably means you're doing the stuff we were saying before. You're shoulder tapping people to death, 
They're in different time zones. I mean, it gets even worse if you're a global org and you have customers around the world and you're waiting for an answer till tomorrow, all that stuff, right? But it's really asynchronous communication is what's going on. I don't think people call it that broadly, but that's sort of the pattern of interaction that's happening. It's continuing to happen. I think it spiked and, and grew over the, the, the pandemic, but I think that train has left the station forever. I don't really, you know, call it remote work, call it in office, right? It's like, there are very few times when that isn't the, the most of how we're talking to our coworkers and our customers. Mm. It's so interesting. It goes back to what I've been thinking about this remote work. I love to take trends and take them all the way back into history and the remote remote work all the way back through history. We can think about like Roman emperors, Roman emperors, they had an empire the size of Rome. So all spread out all over the Mediterranean. Uh, and they were by definition doing remote asynchronous work in the form of letter writing. Mm. Uh, and they built, mm. you know, road networks that were used for trade, but also used for very much for communication. And I remember one story, I can't remember who the, the actual emperor is, but he actually had seven people that he was dictating it to at one point, writing all these letters to send him across. And so if we think about that analogy and like remote work has been done for a very long time, uh, it's just the tools and the communication have gotten much faster. Um, and the, but then you think about it like, well, and then, and then, you know, I forget who had to come and cross the Rubicon. Yeah, it was Caesar. Caesar had to come and cross the Rubicon to get back to Rome. Uh, and that was a, that was a, uh, a symptom of live communication. He needed to actually come with his army back to Rome uh -huh. to, to actually go into that live communication, which you, you mentioned is pressure. So that, that, that thing has always happened, you know, and it happened for emperors. And then it happened with the Medici's in Rome or in, in Italy, you know, of, of them having these widespread networks of people all over Europe and money trading and all this different stuff. So this problem has been around for a long time. Um, I really like what you said about knowledge management is essentially asynchronous work and how to set up standards and, uh, and uh, for that uh, asynchronous work. Um, well, let's, and let's take it to that, to the other question I had before about kind of, cause the my the CEO of my company Francis Pedrosa he um uh, he's been on the podcast several times uh, and he hired me probably because of this podcast as well and we talk about uh, knowledge a lot and like knowledge has this very practical like like clear thing that we're talking about but then it also has this very abstract and somewhat um you know uh, kind of spiritual implications as well and I would love to understand how you. Uh, arose to the uh the name guru uh where it comes comes from and what is the significance of it yeah absolutely um it is it is definitely meant to create a it, it, it's it's a noisy term in that it is a term that has um obviously a lot of um spiritual significance and then over the you know um like the Beatles going and spending time during the the White Album and all that. Right, there became this kind of mainstream adoption of a number of terminologies um, around this uh, concept of um, teaching and enlightenment mm -hmm. and, and 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 the value of knowing and and, and these sort of things. Right, and so we were. We were pretty um, pretty intentional when we first looked at the word of like we we most importantly wanted to um, treat the word with respect and so like you'll never you'll never hear us um, creating a verb out of the word you know mm -hmm. like a like a um, you know you know yeah yeah did you Google it like 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 we don't we don't want to transfer that because I think it does start to um, you know be a bit dismissive of the intent of the word. Um, but the feeling we are going for from a brand perspective is the the feeling that someone gets when they have the confidence around knowing the things, the topics, the areas of expertise that they feel they need. And so many of our early customers use that word confidence. And I always loved that they use that word and attach to that word because I'm like, boy, if 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 we can build a product that can help contribute to your confidence in the workplace, um, that that's pretty awesome. I would love to do that. I would love to be able to say, "Hey, and any 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 examples where 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 that's been been helpful?" Um, I feel honored to have been a part of it. And so so that's what we're going for from a brand perspective is 
the feeling of the you know wisdom gained through um, knowledge and 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 how that can help improve the 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 your your work life um, is is really what landed us on the name and then and then of course the next big question is like okay from a from a um, trademark perspective can we actually use this name which we frankly thought was 50 50 but turned out we we absolutely could which was really exciting so that's, yeah that's that's really fun uh yeah been with us ever since uh and we could there's a lot we could go into it because i love i love tracking that word through and i think it really showed up in the tech world in the 1990s uh with uh, guru marketing or whatever uh but i think it also like has a significance for steve jobs himself because steve jobs is one of these first entrepreneurs who really mixed uh, kind of wisdom from the East with technology. Um, and so there's a lot there as well. And then we could talk about kind of the wisdom relationship between knowledge and wisdom, which is always an interesting conversation as well. Um, uh, but then there's the, the the downside of the word guru as well, because I think a lot, and it's so funny because it took me years in my studies of Advaita Vedanta to understand the 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 reason why guru is so such an important concept within the eastern tradition and but at the same time in the individualist west we find the word guru to be often like a pejorative um and uh but like I, and i'll try to explain it although probably won't do it justice for guru yoga it's like the idea that the enlightenment is a sort of binary state um, and that if you find if you're lucky to find somebody who is actually enlightened, you should probably teach them as a guru because it's so rare, it's so unique, um, and you should probably listen to a lot of what they have to say. And then the West comes back and says, like, yeah, but you're then you're outsourcing your your kind of uh, your individuality to this person, and you're giving them power over over you and stuff like that. Uh, do you have anything to say on that, or do you want to talk about um, kind of this like knowledge versus wisdom type of thing? Well, um, I, I, I like that in terms of how that manifests in the workplace. I think the knowledge is power thing um, is um, really contributes to all the inefficiency things we've been talking about. I think it's a mindset that does um, real harm to um, people and companies. I, I think it I think it does. I, I don't want to overly dramatize it, but I think that um, everything I have seen in the companies I've worked on and learning from customers that have worked with um, Guru or even in my last startup, Umi, um, I think that the transparency and sharing um, of knowledge has exponential positive benefit than the um closing off and and feeling like your worth or success or job security is based on what you know today and and i think that's simply because of the rate of change of the world it's like you talked earlier about um humans can struggle to process cognitively the idea of exponential growth and it's like well, the other area of exponential growth is change. The rate of change of 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 any topic of any area, AI would be the greatest example of the rate of change accelerating as dramatically as it is right now, right? And so, so the idea that holding on to some base of knowledge and and being the place where people come to you as as being a a means of success in someone's personal career and certainly within a company. Um, I think just bro broadly is not true. And I think the reverse actually leads to career success. I think when people see someone actively sharing what they know for the betterment of their colleagues and the company, I think those people are, you know, from a career growth perspective, those are the ones who just get promoted faster. Right. Um, in, in, in my opinion. So yeah, yeah it's a, it's, it's a good, it's a good topic. Yeah. Then it goes back to kind of the, the kind of, a little bit, maybe this is more new age stuff, but the idea that what you give will be given back to you many times over and it goes, so exactly. yeah, yeah. And that's, and it's so crazy because it, 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 it brings to mind all the, like we, and I was going to ask you this question earlier, we have this idealized understand, or I have this idealized understanding of what a company should be and that, that, you know, we should be very professional and stuff like that. And then we talked about the startups and that, that in a startup, it's like that ideal 
kind of goes out the window. And maybe that's for a good reason, because the brevity is so the brevity does have an importance that transparency does have importance. And it's more important to speak it rather than to be worried to be really, really worried about how it how it comes out, although that's important as well. Um, and so, you know, we have this kind of like, so it, it's just like, but it really comes back down to how much you can share. And now we've got this AI thing, which I would love to talk about, about how that is changing everything in terms of acceleration. Um, but at the same time, now it's, you have this tutor that is constantly there uh, who you can ask any question to. It often makes up stuff and, and says it so confidently that you you sometimes fail to fact check it, but I really want to encourage everybody listening to fact check it as much as possible because it is lying to you. Uh, it's not. I'm sorry. It's not lying to you. It is uh, BSing you, um, uh, which is a common human human thing as well. So you usually want to fact check the humans as well. What's your take on the AI and like age of acceleration that we're entering into? But with a sp specific of knowledge and like what AI will do to knowledge management. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it is. Um, uh, broadly transformative and, and 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 broadly highly impactful um at, at, with a couple of important caveats and and you, the very first thing you said i think was that was 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 awesome you used the word tutor copilot companion right th th this is the first thing right i think i think the um, people love to, especially in a hype cycle, you know, people love to dramatize both directions, right? Like um, the world's ending because of AI and, oh yeah, it's just a smart, you know, autocorrector, right? N neither are accurate, yeah. right? Like, right, like, like the world's definitely not ending. This is definitely not artificial general intelligence. This is definitely not going to have um, broad uh, job, you know, job threatening type things um, in its current incarnation and in the current AI spring we are in right now mm -hmm. um because the the way and, and all the creators of these large angle language models um say the same thing and when you log into chat GPT the first thing it tells you is what you just said right like check your accuracy right like make sure it's right um and so um so so I think there's a lot of transparency yet there's a lot of this kind of like like fear on that side and and I think that, um, when people think of it as a companion, um, a, a partner, uh, someone that's helping me do a given thing faster and more effectively in the workplace. Mm. Uh, awesome. I think there's lots of really, really good, positive, transformative things. The other part, the other behavior you see in hype cycles is people being overly dismissive, the auto text corrector thing. And I think that for best of intents, I think people are doing that in response to you scroll through your Twitter feed and people show up and they and they they show you a demo of something they built that like does this, you know, like cool thing theoretically, but but just because it can generate a web page by just talking to it theoretically, that's not building an enterprise application that would actually work to do a real thing just by writing a few sentences to a computer, right? So, so then I think you have like the other behavior people who are like, ah, stop it, it's just, you know. And, and the truth always lies somewhere in the middle. And I, so I think we talked about the companion thing. I think the second big thing, and this is where it ties directly to AI for knowledge management, is all around trust and accuracy. And you you brought this up when you said that, that these systems are going to confidently, they're going to give you an answer with confidence and it could be confidently wrong and we just got done talking about the business problems that knowledge management solves and so the last thing we want to do is go and slap in a system that is going to start giving its employees um, confidently inaccurate information. There's no faster way to tank, you know, EMPS and CSAT and all of these things. And so, so trust and accuracy has to be designed into um, knowledge management systems that leverage AI and uh, foundational. And, and I think that there's, there's a couple of ways to do that. I think that um, first and foremost, large language models are a, a massive benefit to what knowledge management systems can do, but they are not the source of the answer that you're actually trying to get. A large language model, broadly speaking, for workplace knowledge management is not a great source of, of, of answers, right? It, it's um, the source is in the um, 
sprawl of things that likely are somewhere around a company, messages in Slack, documents that are sitting in folders, um, wiki systems that live um, in lots of different teams, workspaces, and, and, and daily workflows, right? That is a much better candidate for sources um, than, uh, than, than an LLM. What, what an LLM is um, really, really good at is helping you take those factually verified um, uh, pieces of, of information and knowledge and turning it into a cohesive answer. I mean, I think there's a real, I mean, most of us are used to, like we do in our personal lives, we put some phrases into a search we get a bunch of results back. We start looking through those results one by one. The answer is in here somewhere. That takes time, right? Mm -hmm. You can actually give that work to an LLM when you are confident in the facts. And it's going to do a really good job giving you that information in a brief, cohesive um, answer. Um, and so and so we we thought about that as guru is like there's a number of workflows around accuracy. We have accuracy in the source it's the source information itself so you can literally have information in your business be tied to a subject matter expert. Guru will kind of broker the accuracy. It will literally say, "Hey, you know, is this information accurate? You stamp it and say, I verified it on this date. It's accurate. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a um, review of answers that Guru's generating for you. So someone can say, I'm not sure about that. I want to check that answer. Even if it's sourced from something, there's still a way to give transparency to the system back to people like knowledge managers, people who are curating this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I think that's the second big ingredient is um, designing trust and accuracy into these systems, um, which is way more than just AI. It's the workflows with humans. It's the user experience. It's the making the AI not feel like a black box, which is a really valid concern a lot of people have for these systems. And so I think the more that you can expose that and open it up, um, now you're getting at a real unlock. Um, and and it, really, it really is. I mean, I, I really think that when you use the technology the right way, the companion partner approach, not the it's replacing the person's job. And you've got a good system of trust built into the way teams are working. Um, it, it, it can really be game changing in those moments. We said before moments of scale, moments of change that happen across companies. Very cool. Uh, so we got about 10 minutes, uh, 10 minutes left. Uh, I got a couple of questions from that. <clears throat> One one is related to kind of knowledge management professionals and how they come to Guru for, from inbound. Like how how much of that is happening right now? Uh, like how many knowledge management professionals are you or your sales team actually dealing with? Um, and the other question is like how important is the idea of single source of truth uh, as the core of knowledge management? When I ask people what knowledge management does a lot of people come to and say, well, the biggest thing is that you establish the single source of truth. And there's a kind of a lot of philosophical implications of that single source of truth, because sometimes there are many different truths. Sometimes there's only one. Sometimes there's a lot of falsehood that's mm -hmm. in there that pretends it's truth. So talk about either one knowledge management professionals or a single source of truth. Totally. Yeah. Um, um, I'll just take them in order. I they're both great topics. Love to talk about source of truth. That's probably the phrase we hear the most uh -huh, yeah. by the people who are coming into Guru. Yes, Guru's all uh, all inbound. So, so, so all of our customers are um, usually searching for, researching this problem, and uh, and and that's how they're learning about Guru. Um, it is very often knowledge management professionals, to your point. Um, it can also be people that will work in learning and development. It can be people that are working in inter internal comms. Um, and they will often roll up to an operational uh, function, uh, maybe a COO. Um, they might roll up to a sales leader. They might roll up to a customer support leader. There are, are people charged with thinking about this exact problem. And, and I would say like, regardless of, you know, KM, L&D, internal comms, it's, there's a, there's a, there's a decent Venn diagram going on there in terms of who's coming in. So yes, there's, they're coming in, in the, in the order of, of thousands a month looking for products um, like Guru. Um, they are typically, 
um, creating programs um, in service of the rest of the company. that um, might manifest in one department's need, which could be support, IT, HR, sales, some of these teams we've talked about earlier. Um, but yes, that's what they're they're looking for, creating that program, that repeatable program of scale. Um, and yeah, and and we're we're trying to always find ways to connect. Um, these practitioners with each other, because what we tend to find is um, it, it's, it can feel a bit lonely within one company because there's often very few of you yeah. within the company. I always say you're doing, you're doing heroes work because it's not like a developer community where, you know, you might work alongside hundreds or thousands of developers in the company. No, it's, you have a very specialized yeah. and critical skill set. Um, and there's a handful of you relative to the broader size of the company. So we're, we're trying to find ways to create those connections across companies. Our customers crave it, frankly. Um, yeah. That's really cool. Uh, and definitely right on, hit the nail on the head. Something I'm going through right now is just like how much of a, how big of a job it is, how little, you know, understanding the kind of that abstract nature, how little understanding a lot of people have of how it could, it could interact with their, their day-to-day lives and make it more efficient. Uh, and then just like having so few examples, you know, like on development, you got stack overflow. Uh, and so you can go when now you have, uh, uh, you know, LLMs as well. Uh, and LLMs have, have helped me with knowledge management as well. That's definitely something that's helped, but it's definitely a, a big job and it's a, and it's a hero, hero's work, uh, which is something I, find myself always getting uh, uh, entangled with. Um, and so let's take it back to that single source of truth idea. How do you actually establish yeah. your single source of truth uh, when yeah. reality is so large and obscure? Yes, yes, yes. There, I, I think there's two ways people tend to talk about this problem. There is the, um, the, the source of truth. D- does that mean that everything is stored in one place? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's source of truth from the perspective of the employee. Um, my point of view is it's really about the latter. I think the former, it, it is um, impractical that everyone is going to store every um, viable piece of company knowledge in one system. And frankly, that will rarely work. And 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 just as examples of that, it's like, you will find knowledge um, products, wikis, um, uh, documents, things like that, deeply integrated into workflow systems. If if you're a software development team, whatever system you're using to, to help you manage your software development lifecycle, there's going to be some document knowledge product, right? And you're unlikely to stop using that. Um, if you're working in, in an operational or legal or GNA or HR function, um, same kind of thing. You likely have a document system you're using for things. Um, if you're in, um, sales and support, you might have other systems, right? And so, so, um, usually, uh, those systems exist already and are in place Mm -hmm. where the single source of truth is critically important is for the employee, Mm -hmm. the employee the, the, the problem becomes, okay, so you have all these places to go. And it's one thing to have documented knowledge just for you and your team. Okay, that's a pretty manageable thing. But that's not what we're talking about with knowledge management. What we're talking about with knowledge management is cross-departmental dissemination of information. It's that I have expertise in my function, product, support, HR, IT, wherever, whatever my function is. And my co my colleagues need to get access to some portion of that yeah. information. And quite urgently, quite importantly, that's where the source of truth is critical. As a company, if an employee can go to one place, regardless of where this stuff is stored, right? So this is what I mean. We're not talking about lifting and shifting all this content into, into one system, but we're talking about one place of access. If an employee feels like they have one place to go to find what they need and one place to go to understand if what they're looking at is accurate, regardless of where it's stored, that to me is the ultimate source of truth and is, I think, appropriately um, in line with how companies and teams work. And so that's where I think it's most important. So we use that phrase a ton. Our customers use that phrase a ton. And when we are talking about it, that's the context in which we're speaking about it, which is give employees one place to go to find what they need to do their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it might be stored in this system over here and the system over here, but, but give, give me one place to go and, and allow me to be able to find it where I already am. Meet me where I am. If I'm in Slack, let me get my knowledge there. If I'm in the browser working in Salesforce or email, let me find the knowledge there. Um, again, regardless of where it lives. Um, well, that's really cool. That was mind blowing for me to understand. That's a, a perspective I haven't heard on the single source of truth, and it's definitely going to be pretty helpful for me. Um, so, uh, would love to understand more. Um, if my listeners are curious about you or anything you're working on or Guru, uh, how can they find out more information? Yeah, for sure. Um, we are uh, our our website is getguru.com. Um, I'd say that the the things we are working on right now is kind of I'd say. Um, two two flavors of of AI around knowledge management. Um, the first one is we've released a writing companion called Assist, that is all about how to uh, back to our messy transparency conversation. Well, you know, be messy, write your content, do a brain dump. You know, l- w- again, where AI is really good is. AI is not going to generate your standard operating procedure from scratch for you, right? Um, But you can take your brain dump and the AI will be very good at turning that into a nicely formatted structure, cohesive set of instructions, right? So that's our, that's our approach to writing companion. It's um, assist is really good at um, helping you with brevity. It's really good at helping you um, summarize, reorganize, structure raw thoughts. It's really good at language translation, all, all of those things. And so um, customers are able to just write faster. It feels easier. They don't feel like they have to be professional writers, that sort of thing. And then the other area of AI is all around discovery of information and knowledge. And so um, this is called answers in our product, but this is really about um, how can you uh, just ask your questions using natural language and let Guru do the discovery of accurate, accurate factual information and turning that into brief, cohesive answers um, that will vary based on your department need or your use case. But to the employee, um, it is a much faster cycle of ask a question, give me the answer back. And and we think in in some ways that's been the promise of knowledge management for, as you said, the beginning of this show, decades. Right. And I think we are are seeing a real step forward in what is now possible um, thanks to the rise of the current kind of AI goodness we are in now. So so Guru is very deeply focused in those, you know, those two areas right now. Very cool. Um, those sound like excellent implic- uh, executions of what the promise of AI, because as we were talking about, there's the potential uh, and people are going wildly into fantasy about the potential. But what you just said, what I've noticed about using AI in general is that it's so good at taking the content that I've already written and expanding on it rather than creating the content for me, because then it doesn't have any context as to what's going on in my brain, basically. Yeah. Yes, yes. There is this really cool workflow um, cause Slack is such a gold mine of knowledge, but it's, it's just natural conversations, right? To your point, like one of the big things we did with assist is we said, well, Hey, what if we could take a thread and say, Hey, turn this into a FAQ or standard operating procedure that works phenomenally well for the reason you just said, because all the information's there. It's just when the, when the person was talking, they were, you and I were just having a conversation. We weren't thinking about a documentation, Right. It's an awesome example of where you can leverage uh, AI and and really short circuit what would be a very manual task otherwise. Fascinating. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.